Louise McSharry on 2FM. April is Irritable Bowel Syndrome Awareness Month. Monday is World Irritable Bowel Syndrome Day. And today I'm joined by the gut experts, a.k.a. Professor of Gastroenterology, Barbara Ryan, and registered clinical dietitian, Elaine McGowan, who are on a mission to educate, empower, and encourage eating for gut well-being so that people, and women in particular, may better understand their bodies and break the stigma around IBS. Hello to you both. Hello, Louise. Louise. Thank you very much for having us on. I'm grooving to your music here. I I really like your taste. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. What a compliment. Um, So before we we say anything, I think the first thing I'd like to ask is, um, you know, I said in my intro there that we look at women in particular who, who experience IBS. Are women more likely to experience IBS, Barbara? Yeah, absolutely, Louise. And I suppose that's one of the reasons why we want to, we're interested in everybody's gut health, but we're focusing particularly on women because about um, 70% of people who suffer with IBS are women. So it's two and a half times more common in women. And if you think about probably about 400,000 people in Ireland suffer with IBS, that's, you know, 250 or 300,000 women and also 100,000 men, but it is much more common um, in women and it also tends to be a little bit different in women as well we see slightly different symptoms yeah. um, and it's particularly more common in younger women yeah. you know during our fertile years um, then and, and it tends to get a little bit less less severe as we get older oh that's um, interesting because I have yeah. IBS and I think I was diagnosed with it probably about 10 years ago and I definitely find uh, with my period it it can kind of intensify Absolutely. so that's yeah. normal that is normal. I mean, most women find that they get a change in their bowel pattern over the course of a month. And that's, that's normal for everybody because mm. we actually have trillions of estrogen receptors in our gut. Mm. So our gut is really sensitive to all the hormonal changes that are happening. But if you have IBS, that tends to be really exaggerated. Mm. So some people might find before they're in the week before their period, they start getting maybe a bit constipated. And mm. um, that can get worse. They get more bloating, more pain. And then when their period starts, they may find they get some diarrhea, yeah. other different type of cramps, um, yeah. maybe more severe cramps, etc. And that cycle yep. repeats itself. So, so yeah, women get that's a different effect differently. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about. Um, and so for people who don't know, uh, what... You know, what is the definition? I feel like it's kind of a loose definition, IBS. And but yeah. how could someone identify, you know, if it's something that they're experiencing? Yeah, so it is. It, 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 there are actually quite defined criteria in a way, but the symptoms can differ in different people. So what I would say about IBS, it's, it's a chronic debilitating condition. And, and as you say, it can be very frustrating. Mm. Um, the main symptoms of it are um, recurrent abdominal pain. So people get cr- tummy cramps. Mm. Um, and that having cramps are probably the one symptom that you probably have to have to be diagnosed with IBS. Yeah. And then there are other symptoms that, that as well, such as a change in your bowel pattern. So some people might get a bit constipated or some people get diarrhea and yeah. some people fluctuate between the two. Yeah. Might find that their bowel pattern changes in appearance. There's this amazing thing people could, it's called the Bristol stool chart and it's a, it's a very graphic picture of how all bowel motions, the full range of bowel motions that people can have. And, and on one end there's little sort of goat-like droppings and on the other end there's sort of very loose stools and people can fluctuate and be anywhere along that range. Um, and then a, a one symptom that funnily enough isn't one of the sort of diagnostic symptoms but bloating is obviously a huge problem for a lot of people yeah. although you don't it isn't sort of as i said one of the cardinal symptoms so pain changing bowel pattern change appearance of stools and and bloating and then people can get other symptoms as well like fatigue 
Uh, sometimes some people might describe brain fog. I could go on, but it's, it's, yeah. it's a very... So there are a lot of range, range of symptoms out that differs from person to person. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I obviously, you know, I think I had to tell my husband about my IBS on like our second date or something um, mm. because I had a really bad um, episode of it. And it was embarrassing, obviously, because I was in his apartment. And um, mm. uh, yeah. now I will have you know, we had known each other for quite some time. <laughs> so it was OK for me to know. It was yeah. OK for me to be in his apartment anyway. But I was in his apartment and I was creating a smell in the toilet and I had to yeah. use the toilet frequently. And it was really embarrassing. Um, so, you know, it can be really yeah. like, aside from the fact that physically it's difficult, it can be socially embarrassing and it can be uncomfortable. But yeah. but my husband being a man, uh, he wants to kind of solve the problem. So every single time I have an incident, he's like, what did you eat? What did you eat? He's convinced it always comes down to food. Um, yeah. So Elaine McGowan, maybe I'll ask you, uh, you are a clinical dietitian. Is it always down to food? It's not really, is it? No, it's not always down to food. It's actually very much multifactorial, but food definitely plays a role, I think. Yeah. But the, it's the combined fact of food, stress factors, hormones together, and just generally our diet and our lifestyles. And certainly in these times, you know, busy working women and also the food choices that we go for, the whole lot can impact. So hormones, food choices, lifestyle sleep, exercise, it's multifactorial, I think, all of the triggers. And stress, obviously, a big one, too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely found this year that the, the stress of the last year impacted my my experience. Um, can you tell me a little bit, Elaine, about um, what kind of dietary cha- things you can do to try and lessen your symptoms? Yeah, well, first of all, food doesn't actually cause IBS itself, but it can be certainly a trigger for some of the symptoms. And often, Louise, it's actually the amount of food that you actually eat. The amount of a certain food could be a trigger. So there's, first of all, there's very simple steps that you could look at with diet and lifestyle. And they come down to somebody like you, a busy working mom with children. Are you getting enough sleep? Looking at your um, the pattern of your eating. Are you eating regularly? Are you missing meals? Are you skipping meals? Mm. Are you eating and drinking on the run? Are you taking too much caffeine? When you're busy, do you go more towards ready meals or processed foods? And all of these collectively together can actually cause gut symptoms. So we need to be mindful about really the regularity of eating, the speed of eating and our lifestyle along with it. So often a first line of approach is just really to take a food diary, start to write down maybe what you're eating, your regularity of eating, mm. and also your exercise and some of your stress triggers around that. Mm. And that will be the first steps you could make. Then you can go on to looking at the diet in more detail. Mm. And can I ask, because I actually think that at this point, a lot of people are confused about what a healthy diet actually is, because mm. there is so much information out there from people who have kind of appointed themselves as, uh, you know, healthy eating experts and, you know, the whole wellness movement, I suppose, it sends out a lot of mixed messages about what's a good food to eat, what's a bad food to eat. Now, personally, I don't believe in like, you know, identifying foods in that way or categorizing them in that way. But, you know, you can think you're eating a very healthy diet, but it might not actually be healthy. Am I right in saying that, Elaine? Yeah, well, certainly for our IBS sufferers, it's basically down to the quantities of certain foods. So there is, you're absolutely correct, there's a lot of um, conflicting information out there. There's a lot of misleading um, information from non-experts. And this can be kind of dangerous for some of our IBS sufferers because they can eliminate whole food groups from their diet. So we would be advocates of inclusive diets rather than exclusive diets. Mm. So we wouldn't be recommending eliminating all of wheat and dairy from your diet. 
And that's for a number of reasons. Number one is it can have a negative back, uh, effect on your healthy bacteria. Number two is it can cause nutrition deficiencies. And number three is it can actually lead to sometimes disordered eating, Louise. Mm. So for our actual IBS sufferers, there's, th- there's three areas that we could actually highlight in terms of foods. So the first one is actually fibre. So we all need to look at our fibre intake. About 80% of people in Ireland are not eating enough fibre. So what we recommend is between 20 and 35 grams of fibre a day. Mm. So 20 grams of fibre, Louise, is just like a bowl of um, oats in the morning, a whole grain cereal, Mm. two slices of bread, and it's two portions of vegetables, a portion of salad, and about two or three portions of fruit a day. Mm. And just as you said, we can go right to the other end of the spectrum, um, which is somebody who's taking 35, maybe 55 grams of fibre a day. And Barbara and I see these patients every single day in our clinic. Mm. Barbara will have done all the medical workup, and it'll turn out that maybe they have a lot of these functional symptoms, but there isn't, a, you know, the diagnosis is definitely more functional symptoms related to IBS. Mm. So then we look at that diet, and they could be taking way too much fiber they could be having smoothies for breakfast and they could be overloading on it so there is a thing as eating too healthy Right. It's interesting there that you mentioned bread because I, I, you know, we've spoken to other, you know, nutrition experts on the show and bread always comes up as like a good option mm. at breakfast time. And I think so many people have bread in their head as like, you know, a danger food or like a, a food that's mm. absolutely vilified and a terrible thing to eat. But it's not, is it? No, it's absolutely not. And you've brought up a really good point there, right? It's very much about the quantities of, of, of wheat that we eat, including yeah. bread and pasta. And as you know, in Ireland and England, in the last 10 years, we've seen an exponential increase in the amount of uh, breads, pastas, pizzas that we're eating. Well, they're so, so delicious. I mean, yes. like, they're, they, they, they really are. <laughs> they're absolutely gorgeous, but it's also the quantity of it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's about the amount. But a really important thing to look at um, is, Louise, it's actually not the gluten in the bread. Gluten is the protein in the bread, and most people um, eliminate bread for that reason. Mm. But that isn't hasn't been found in research to be the trigger of dietary symptoms. It's actually fructans, which are a sugar in the bread that's the problem. Mm. So smaller quantities, two slices of bread, wholemeal bread is tolerated by most of our patients every day, or soda bread. And in fact, if you take bread out of the diet, it has a negative impact on our healthy bacteria in our gut. It reduces the amounts of them. Well, I truly love to hear that. I cannot tell you enough. <laughs> um, and, and I think, Louise, can I just... Of course. I think what you, you hit on something really, really important there. I mean, one of the reasons that neither Elaine nor I, for example, you know, we've been busily working in our careers for 25, 30 years. I'm, I've never been on social media until recently. And one of the reasons that we've started to do this is because we are very, very worried about the messaging yeah. um, that is that is coming from unreliable sources. And we're seeing that, and myself and all my colleagues and all the other dietitians around the country are seeing every day the knock-on effects, particularly you, you, you touched on the clean eating movement. I think that's, I think it's actually very dangerous. Mm. Um, I think, and I think classifying some cl- foods as clean and other ones as unclean, you know, by inference is, mm. is dangerous. And we're seeing it particularly in younger people, younger yeah. women, very susceptible to messaging from social media and yeah. it's causing all sorts of problems. So yeah. we're trying to say, you know, we want you to, we want people to eat widely. We, we really favor a Mediterranean style diet. Yeah. We don't, we don't think that you need to be a vegan or vegetarian to enjoy the benefits of plant-based foods. Yeah. But we also think, you know, so I think I think we want to be a, a voice of reason, 
based on our clinical experience and based on evidence. Okay, so what I'm getting in terms of IBS is that um, you know it's it's what you it's it's what you eat, but it's also the way that you eat it, how much you eat. Mm-hmm. I know, and I know I feel like I'm going on about myself, but I'm I guess I'm a case study. <laughs> Certainly, quantities <laughs> are an issue for me. Um, if I lose the run of myself and eat an entire pizza, uh, sometimes it does have an yeah. ill effect on yeah. uh, my movements. Um, so, is there any medication or anything supplements anything that actually works yeah so that's that's a really interesting question um so firstly i think we were going to say that diet is first line yeah secondly yes there are some medications that can help people if if they're doing all the right things in terms of their diet and you know so if for example if you get cramps and spasms there are some very simple anti-spasmodic medications available over the over the counter um their peppermint tea. Peppermint is a really good natural anti-spasm medication. Peppermint also available in, in medications over the counter as well. Mm. Um, probiotics is obviously a very big area at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't be an, advocati- an advocate for the use of probiotics in IBS because it's mm. not really proven. There have been some studies done looking at thousands and thousands of people with, uh, who've taken different probiotics and only about one in seven people actually gets a benefit from them. And it doesn't cure all their symptoms. So the sort of the current pragmatic advice might be, look, if you really want to try a probiotic, try it for a month and mm. um, try a multi-strain one, one that contains multiple different bacteria. And if you find a benefit, great, you could continue taking it. But if you don't find a benefit, stop taking it. Mm. Um, in terms of dietary, other dietary supplements, I don't think there's any, no, I'm not, I don't think that there's any reason to be taking supplements if you're eating a balanced diet yeah. and getting, you know, a broad range of nutrients. You don't need vitamins particularly, apart from the one thing I would say is that vitamin D is obviously very important at the moment, mm. uh, very topical, it protects us from the effects of, uh, of COVID potentially. Mm. Um, but other than that, you know, dietary enzymes, digestive enzymes are not proven benefits. So. I don't think there's a huge role for supplements and probiotics yeah. in IBS, apart from possibly a short trial. Um, and but obviously, some people will be following strict, you know, the best dietary advice from a dietitian. They'd be trying to manage all their other factors, their sleep, their stress, etc., and still having very problematic symptoms. And in that case, there are a whole range of other medications that can be prescribed okay. by a doctor. Okay. Particularly ones. I don't know if you, you obviously are very interested in this area being a sufferer yourself <laughs> and you've probably read a lot um, about the whole connection between the brain and the gut mm. and this gut brain axis um, and how we know that the gut bacteria in our gut, they speak to our gut, they speak to our brain, our brain speaks to our gut, etc. So medications that act on that gut brain axis, mm. which by and large, and I always ha- hate having to say this to patients, but they do belong to the antidepressant family of medications by and large but those sort of medications at very very low doses can be really excellent for people who are suffering with symptoms a lot of the time Mm. despite all those other measures so I think one of the messages we we want to get across to people as well is that you know we don't want people suffering in silence you try you know there are lots of different steps and some people might might benefit from first line therapies other people might have to go a little further some people might need regular medication to help mm. them 
but there are a lot of things that can be done and the treatment should be individualised. Each person is different. Well, that's great because, I mean, that really proves that it is absolutely worth getting a diagnosis and seeking yeah. help if you're experiencing these kind of symptoms. Um, and I really appreciate you shining a light on it for me this morning and for our listeners. Before oh, I let you. you go, can mm. I take advantage of having you here, Elaine, if you absolutely. don't mind? Um, because <laughs> my son this week was learning about healthy food in Crash, which is fantastic. And they were trying all kinds of different fruits that they hadn't tried before and various other things. But one of the things that came up was the food pyramid. And I just wondered, is the food pyramid still the right structure for us to be learning about food via? I, I think the food pyramid works very much as a guideline and a basis and a direction for the population as a whole. Now, right. next, uh, generally, you are going to find people that have different metabolisms and different engines. And for example, the whole cohort of carbohydrates on the bottom, they may be too much for certain individuals. Mm. Do you know? So you yeah. have an individual that I always call the Ferrari metabolism, and they can eat all the carbohydrates in the world and mm -hmm. they burn them off. Mm -hmm. And then you have an individual that's a slower metabolism. And naturally, large portions of carbohydrates in terms of breads, rice, pastas and potatoes may not be metabolized by those. Mm. So they may have to take smaller portions. But by and large, it's a guide, it's a direction, it's an education. Yeah. But you will get people that need more specific, personalized, individual advice, particularly if they are even children that start to gain weight quite easily, then that would, may need to be adapted to them. Well, so this the is the thing, isn't it? That all of our yeah. metabolisms operate differently and that's why we are are all different I think the food pyramid may, may not be serving them with the best education tool, tool and they may need different guidelines so they may need to eat lots more protein lots more vegetables lots more salad and control the amount of carbohydrates they're taking and particularly for a teenager do you know that isn't burning off all those calories and is more prone to gaining weight you would certainly in, um, make suppress their appetite by lots of vegetables lots of salad and lots of protein and maybe reduce the carbohydrates a little bit but then you can have the wiry teenager who just burns off all of the carbohydrates and it doesn't cause any problem for them life is not fair truly mm. so it's the <laughs> metabolism metabolism, metabolism is not fair yeah it's in, and it's in some of that's in the genetics isn't it what you're yeah. born with that's yeah. it yeah well yeah I, yeah I, uh, certainly in my genetics anyway all right well look thank you so much i really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with me the gut experts are professor excuse me professor of gastroenterology barbara ryan and clinical dietitian elaine mcgowan and you can follow the gut experts on instagram and facebook at the gut experts thank you both so much Thank you. Very Thank much. you. Thank Louise. you. Bye -bye. Have a great day. Bye -bye. Louise McSherry on 2FM.